Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome back. Welcome to the new year. Got a great show for you this week. Send us your questions and your comments, 503-766-6264, or on social media, one user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. Going to be an interesting year, 2021. Glad 2020 is behind us. Today's news is brought to you by 503 Uncorked, Sherwood's neighborhood gathering place featuring local wine, spirits, beer, and eats, with covered outdoor dining, takeout, and weekly live music. Make a reservation or order online at 503uncorked.com. Apply the user-friendly discount code or tell your server to receive a 15% discount. So what's in the news? <laughs> Foreign power successfully hacks over 250 U.S. agencies and private companies. Yeah, and this was, this, oh, I was going to say this happened. This was found out about over the holidays. This has been happening actually over the last year. And oh it was my. just discovered um, by a, a security firm called FireEye. So it wasn't even uh, discovered in an f- official capacity. It was a firm that did it. I'm kind of glad they found it. And you know, we, we talk about this on our Tech Wednesday blog this week in a little more detail, but what's basically going on here is the bad actors, they think 90% it was the Russians that did it, like a state power over there, was able to get into a software vendor called SolarWinds. They make a product that's used at enterprise level for management of a lot of different servers. So what that means is when you have a server or a setup of servers, you actually run software from a number of different places. So you might have Microsoft Windows as the server, but you have other tools out there that you're using to deal with management and other aspects of your server or servers. And SolarWinds makes one of these products that's widely used. They're also a company that has been considered and had some problems and issues with security in the past. So it was kind of the weak link in the system. And what happens here is so much of our stuff uses updates that are run automatically now. And we've talked about this in previous shows, like your Windows updates and that type of thing, that what the bad actors were able to do was get into these automatic updates for SolarWinds and inject malware into that system. And then it caused it to automatically distribute it out to every system that was running their software and basically install a backdoor into all of these other server environments. And at the end of the day, the problem is, is they still don't know how deep in this is, but some of the things they're concerned about, there's a system, as a for example, run by the government in case there was a national blackout of how to restart the electrical grid properly, and now the bad guys have all of the equipment that they're going to use and know what to disable, that type of thing. And that's one example of why this is really considered to be a bad thing. Private companies, a lot of different information. And the other side of it is, is to fix these servers is kind of really involved and that you can't just uninstall it. And what they're thinking is they're actually going to have to destroy the setups and start them over from scratch again to be able to be absolutely sure that there's no longer a hack out there that it wasn't caught. Oh, wow. Hmm. Apparently, Ticketmaster is going to pay a $10 million fine for hacking a rival company. Yeah, Bill, you kind of made the comment before we started recording today is, you know, Ticketmaster not realize you can't do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the rival company is another firm that sells tickets, Crowdsource. And this was done around 2015. 
And they sent in people undercover to this other company, at least this is the allegation, uh, that I guess they've now admitted to because they're paying the fine, and uh, went in to steal information. And, you know, Ticketmaster has been an interesting thing. You get fees for the privilege of buying your own tickets. And I know for a while they were even trying to, from what I understand, to scalp their own tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, there you are. 10 million reasons to not do that, maybe. AI solves Schrodinger's equation. This is an interesting concept. It's a little bit in depth to explain completely, but it has to do with quantum computing and quantum chemistry and dealing with being able to understand different modes of electrons and other things that are built into that. And like I say, this is something that really would require its own paper to be able to describe in any kind of a depth. But one of the things that is easy to talk about here, a little easier, is the whole idea of quantum computing and what's going on. And binary computing, you have your electron, which is either present or absent, zero or one, which is where binary comes from. A very brief definition of quantum computing is there's different states of the electron, and quantum computing can pick up on these other states. So one of the states is neutral, as a for example. So now you have a third mode. And this goes on, and there's a whole list of these things that allow because you have a lot of different functionalities of the electron that can be detected, a lot more power to the computer because it's able to do more than just binary code. This has more to do with the chemistry end of it and defining things within that, but it's the same type of thing. AI has actually gotten out there and solved this, and this has been an issue for a number of years. Is this the same person who did the CAT equation? You might remember this if you've watched shows like Big Bang Theory, you know, if the the cat's in the box, is he alive or dead, if you don't know. Uh, That is related. This has more, like I say, to do to the chemistry end of it, but uh, there is a a common basis. It's the theory that, like, to check and see, the the explanation of the cat in the box scenario is the fact that if you're looking at an electron or a neutron or anything like that, it changes how it looks because you have to interact with it directly. So the AI has solved the way to figure that out. Right. Right. Cool. The FCC to adopt more measures to combat robocalls. Good. Yes, finally. Um, They're requiring a couple of different things. One of the bigger ones is that the phone companies actually cooperate with law enforcement in tracking the robocall locations. So doing a call search, that type of a thing, and figuring out where it comes from. There's a whole paper on this. In fact, we'll go ahead and post it to our social media, and it outlines a lot of the different things that are being done. But robocalls are the most complained about thing to the FCC. Most of us have experienced this where you'll get a call, your car warranty's up, or some of them are mm-hmm. a lot worse than that. The, you know, your sister's in trouble, so you need to send money kind of thing. And you see this stuff all over the place, and it's one of those type of situations where they are able to scam people and make money on the worst end of it, and even on the best end of it, sell stuff and, and interrupt people when they don't want to be in that type of thing. And the other thing is, if you're using a cell phone that still charges by the minute, you get charged for these calls. So it's it's a problem completely across the board. And in my opinion, it is about time that the FCC actually starts pushing on it. They've been talking about it for a while. They've been talking about requiring the caller ID be accurate. It seems like that would be a no-brainer. But that should have been done from the very beginning. Yeah, and spoofing caller ID, they're locking it down now, but it was very simple. There was actually an app you could download and you could make the caller ID say whatever you wanted. Oh, lovely. Flash officially dead this Tuesday. Do we need to have a funeral? 
Uh, I don't know if we need to have a funeral. I do think there's a lot of programmers that are going to kind of be rejoicing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a wake. It's a party. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. we'll have a wake. <laughs> so Flash is Adobe software that deals with being able to do graphics through the internet. Now, this came out originally in 1996. That's when the first version was out there. And what it was, was now you can watch videos, you can do graphics, all these kind of things through your web browser. But at that time, you couldn't. So they needed an easy way to be able to distribute these type of things, and Flash was one of the first iterations to do it. It, at that time, made a lot of sense, but it's kind of hung out out there, and in the last 10 years, they've had a lot of uh, just security problems and that type of thing with it. It is a player that installs on top of your browser, and kind of like the problems they were having with the Java players back a few years ago, it was the same type of thing where you could insert malicious code and get access to parts of a user's computer that you shouldn't normally have. The other thing of it is, is I know it was something that was very non-intuitive to program for. Now, Jeremy, you did a little bit of Flash programming in the day or development. What did you yeah. think of it? Um, it was difficult to figure out from the very beginning. I mean, I, I took several different classes and, um, you know, it didn't work. It, I couldn't understand how the thing was supposed to delay itself out and how to make it follow the thing it was supposed to do. But I eventually did it, and it's actually kind of neat for what it was, but it's really difficult to start. And now that I haven't done it for a long time, am I going to remember how to do it? Yeah, yeah. I know the, I've completely know. forgotten, and, yeah. and I actually tried figuring it out from a book, you know, one of those books that are those how-to books, and nope, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I know it, it, it worked almost like a video editor, but it had code in there, and they added yeah. a programming language later on. I, I remember that, too, and it was just... Uh, was one of those things served its purpose in the day, but it's gone. It's 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 last day that it will work will be Tuesday, and next week on Tech Wednesday we're going to be publishing an article on how to uninstall it properly. That is being recommended just to make sure things are cleaned up and that you don't have a security issue. After we get back from the break, we're going to be doing an interview with Joseph Galata. He creates podcasts for children. Very interesting thing. We're going to be talking about some TV streaming, some things that has been discovered over the holidays, and we're going to be talking a lot more about the hack cybersecurity in general, and what this means for all of us. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Jeremy, Gretchen, Bill, welcome back. Hey. Hey. Hello. So I guess we're talking about um, streaming. Yes, TV and streaming. Lately, you know, everybody's been home and trying to watch TV and just stay away from everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I came across on uh, Disney Plus was a movie called Soul. And I got Jeremy to watch it with me again. Uh, last night. It's by Pixar. Mm -hmm. The artwork is beautiful. And uh, this was um, put out in uh, 2020. And I guess apparently the crew had to finish it while under um, the constraints of COVID-19. Yep. They all had to go from work and get all their computers and bring everything home. And they had meetings and Zoom stuff. But they finished a movie in in isolation. So nobody was like going to work and fi fixing stuff and doing all these things. They did it at home. So it's a really kind of an amazing project. 
Um, the main star is uh, done by Jamie Foxx and uh, Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. And um, this this is a story about music, about life. And it really hit me because I did play in a middle school jazz band. So there's a lot of music meanings in here. And it, it's just something you have to watch. Yep. Did you I, like the artwork? I did. I, well, I always like artwork. So like in this one, they they went all out, and the the characters are well designed. The interaction between the real world and the, the other world that they're using it turns out fabulous. The, I mean, everything works, and the characters are charming, and yep. they come off as being very real and genuine. Yeah, it's it's really kind of an amazing thing. So if you want to um, watch a movie that's going to make you feel good afterwards. I would watch Soul, and that's on Disney Plus. And is The Mandalorian. So watch that. <laughs> we demand it. <laughs> Netflix. Okay, so we've been also watching Netflix. Um, there was Merlin from mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. We rewatched Merlin, and that was a series that went from 2008 to 2012. And it star- starred Colin Morgan as. The Wizard Merlin. Merlin. And it's a little different take on the stories. This is kind of medieval, but not. Yeah, but, but it's fun. Know, it's fun. It, it, it has humor and adventure. There's and a dragon. Was, there's a dragon. Oh, yeah, I love dragons. <laughs> well, I would hope with something like that, there's a dragon at least. But yeah. Well, the dragon. I, I, he's, one I he's remember. Really, yeah, I, I he's really cool. It. it was fun. I mean, to um, me, I, it felt a little soap opery, I think, when I was watching it. But, you know, I, I came in. It is. It's slightly soap opera. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, so it's a soap opera with period drama, <laughs> you know, and, and semi-period clothing. Yeah. Kind of. Semi-period so, clothing. It's, for, you're, you're, for it's, it's as the world turns, you know, the night <laughs> yeah. with aliens and vampires yeah. and I don't know what. <laughs> no, that was Dark Shadows. <laughs> No, no, no. That was the one about vampires and demons and stuff. No, I'm talking yeah, like yeah. as world turns where it was like aliens half the time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're not watching that one. Okay, then there was um, a mini series called Queen's Gambit, and uh, this one will have you. You, it's almost like watching a train wreck. It's absolutely fascinating. You can't turn away, and the characters are compelling and interesting, and it's all about chess. Uh, you know, who who thought that the that, that story about people playing chess would be so fascinating? Um, this is was done in 2020, and it's based upon a novel by Walter Turvis. It's set in the Cold War era, and the star is Anya Taylor-Joy. And she did a really good job. She's she you just find yourself mesmerized by the um the story and her acting and her character. And they did a lot of work on making sure that the Cold War era clothing was correct. And it felt really good. You would see the scenes in the homes and the dishes and the shoes and all of the, just everything that was going on. If you were alive during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you would feel like it was very genuine. And then our last one. Don't forget the Great British oh, Baking gosh, Show. The Great British Baking Show. Because, you know, we're going to watch more uh, how-tos and drama. Great British Baking Show's got it. Drama, how-to. Well, not really how-to because we don't actually know how they're making their, their <laughs> but great bakes. But I guarantee you after watching this, you're going to want to go and bake. Yes. 
Um, one of the nice things about the show is that it doesn't, it, some reality shows where they have competition makes you feel bad or you feel like somebody's a jerk. And, well, all this cutthroat competition yeah. and everybody's trying to sabotage each other. It isn't that way. Yeah. These people are nice. It's, it's amazing. fun. Well, it's and, a thing to do that. I mean, I've like watched like the same version of it and like uh, certain cooking shows, like in England version. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. They're nice. You know, they're like, Oh yeah, you're, you're fine. You're cool. <laughs> really? So I haven't watched, uh, we watched a, a gingerbread bake off cause we we're trying to, and that was an American one. And yeah, you're right. It was a little more kind of gritty, nasty. And has anybody like, got any cinnamon and no one says anything? Yeah. yeah they completely ignored her. And then I'm pretty sure that in the great British baking show, if somebody had said, do you have any cinnamon? Everyone who was still in the kitchen would have offered some. Or the, the two uh, hosts would, yeah, have, the, would have gotten them. Because the two hosts help out too, aside yeah. from distracting everybody and making jokes. <laughs> yeah, the hosts are funny. Uh, uh, that was B. Sandy Tuxvig, mm-hmm. Noel Fielding, who is obviously a goth. And Matt Lucas was in for this year because Sandy could not come in. Um, this year they uh, they did um, it with uh, under the COVID nineteen yeah. constraint. So they they brought all the contestants together to the hotel. They confined everybody, the contestants and the and the staff and the crew, all in the same place for two weeks. Then they started filming, and then you know everyone was still nobody went home. It was like everybody was still was stuck there, and they're all in isolation filming the show. And then they released the show. And it's amazing how all these contestants start to become almost like a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've watched several different seasons. And these people all seem to bond with each other. So it's it's, it's something that'll make you smile. Well, especially considering the fact that you're, like Jeremy said, have to be together and then quarantine afterwards. Production right now is is very, very difficult. So, well, Mm -hmm. some things to check out. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where we answer your questions. How do you send us your questions? I'm so glad you asked. There's a couple of ways to do it. Give us a call, 503-766-6264. Social media, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, or go to our website, userfriendlynation.com. A lot of our questions that have come in this week have been about the big hack that was discovered. We talked a little bit about this in the news previously, but we wanted to talk a little bit more about cybersecurity. And one of the first things I'd like to talk about is antivirus and anti-malware programs. And Bill, I'm going to start with you on this, because I know you've been happy lately with the one that's built into Windows, Windows Defender, versus some of the other products. Yeah, um, I've actually been testing it on a couple of systems that I have. So on one system and my phone, which I actually have controls to, because my mother has the same cell phone and you know a similar computer. I can test, you know, I've been running Norton now for probably close to 10 years. Um, I've had issues with Norton in the past and such, and I've been listening to and talking to a number of other cybersecurity specialists and such in the, you know, that work in the professional sphere for companies. And uh, a lot of them have been, you know, testing it out too. And then uh, they've been finding that Windows Defender is just as capable, if not more, Potentially just because, you know, Microsoft might know more about the uh, zero-day exploits that have happened in the past where it is things that were 
inherent into the system of Windows itself that, you know, hackers discovered or this or that, you know, just different security flaws. But they might be able to parse those out before anybody really knows that they were there. Um, but, you know, these are cybersecurity people handling, you know, major companies and stuff. And they're like, yeah, I mean, the, the Windows Defender is just working just as fine. And, you know, you get it free with Windows since I think we were talking earlier, Windows 8. Yeah, Windows 8 is where it started. One of the other things I've noticed is a lot of the third-party antivirus have a lot of overhead. In other words, they take system resources a lot more than Windows oh, yeah. Defender. Now, Jeremy and Gretchen, you guys are using and have used for a long time Trend Micro. Yeah, um, and actually, I you know, they just did a, a scan recently, and I was looking at it. And there were two days where a whole bunch of malicious stuff was blocked. And it was all things when I had visited on Facebook. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was like, wow. I mean, it was, and it was all around New Year's Day and New Year's Eve. And I was kind of shocked. And I was looking at the descriptions of what these things were. They were some kind of malware. And it was able to block it. So it's just kind of like if you're on Facebook, be wary of some of these advertisers because it seemed like it was all tied in with the commercial stuff, not like a, a friend's post, but uh, an advertiser that came up in the feed. You know, one of the things with this latest hack, and we've talked about hacks in the past where a store gets hit or something and change your password, watch your bank accounts. You can't really do that here because they've actually gotten into the software stream. Microsoft, we were talking about with Windows Defender, Microsoft's one of the companies that did get breached, and they were talking about this. And one of the things that the bad actors got access to was some of the Windows source code. And this gives them a blueprint for the operating system, so that's why that can be a real bad thing. But using these antivirus and anti-malware programs, it's going to become more important because as all these hacks get into your actual software, instead of just being something malicious, you want to be able to know or at least do the best you can to kind of block those things out. And Gretchen, what you're talking about is interesting too, because those type of exploits, and it isn't just Facebook, by the way, you can get those anywhere, but it comes up in ads or, you know, different websites that do these type of things where they'll try to get into your system. I noticed over the holidays too, an old one was back. And I saw this in a lot of different ways where we were getting emails that said, you've gotten a free Home Depot gift card or a free whatever gift card. It wasn't just Home <laughs> Depot. And if you click on it, that would allow for malicious software to be installed or theft of your personal information or both. And, you know, so those type of things, an anti-malware program, a good one, can also warn you for going to a suspicious website or block that type of a thing, too. You know, I think going forward here, these hacks are getting a lot more complicated and in-depth. Practicing good Security, using different passwords for things is, is important. I know Chrome's launched recently a new feature that if your password is found on the dark web or on a scan, it will warn you about it. Uh, when I turned it on, I had something like 30 passwords that prompted me to change, and I did. It's oh, very wow. difficult to monitor all of that. They say on the average, we have over 90 online accounts. So it's like, <laughs> how are you going to deal with that many passwords, right? <laughs> yeah. But it is definitely something, use different passwords for financial accounts and medicals, because those are the big ones. But the other side of it is, is make sure that Defender's turned on or Trend Micro or Norton or whatever you're using. Make sure it's set up properly. All of that kind of thing is going to be important. And we will talk more about this as we get more information. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, reporter Steve Mailer with his guest, Joseph Galata. Thanks, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen. Well, I'm on location today with someone who I've had the pleasure of meeting with a couple of weeks ago on the set of filming a very interesting documentary. His name is Joseph Galata, and he's one of those people that when you meet, you would think he should be four or five different people because of all the different things he does. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me here on User Friendly. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll see which one I am today. (laughs) (laughs) When we met a few weeks ago, part of the interview that we did involved you talking about some podcasts that you're involved with. Please, Um, we're always interested in hearing about what people are doing for media, for uh, on-air consumption you know, different delivery platforms. Tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts that you're doing. Well, first of all, let me share, Steve. Thank you so much for letting me uh, share. That's a pleasure. Uh, I, I analyze everything because I write grants and I do fundraising. And when I'm teaching about grant writing, I always say you have to know three or four years in advance where the money is and where the channels are. And so with everything going on nowadays, technology-wise, media-wise, social media-wise, I really started investigating a couple of years ago that podcasting was going to become the big wave of the future. I like you already. Yeah. And, and, I, and if you look at what is happening in the world of podcasting, it is just an explosion, uh, whether it's people from their living rooms or semi-professionals or top-notch professionals like Katie Couric or... Um, who's one of the other big stars that just started one the other day I was reading about. Um, Oh, that actress uh, who was on that CBS uh, comedy show, Mom. Um, She quit and she's doing podcasting. Um, So I was just at a conference before the pandemic in Los Angeles where there had to be 1,000 podcasters uh, there from all over the world. And the one thing I noticed in all of the discussions was hardly anyone knew how to make money doing their podcasting. Okay, yeah. But it's there. I just got five grants for podcasting series, three podcasting series in 2021. Wow. Yeah. That's quite, I mean, considering everything that's happening, that's, yeah. uh, that's a feat in and of itself. Yes. I remember the first time I, I made a pitch about getting money to do podcasting, I thought people were going to laugh at me and they didn't give me a penny. Ha ha. One is... Um, uh, with Broadway actors that I worked with. Okay. Um, we are doing it. It's called Evoke. It's an 11 series podcast starting in 2021 of using actors, writers, musicians to create theatrical podcasts to deal with this horrible, horrible situation called anti Semitism. Okay. Last year, 4.7 million tweets and posts trying to recruit young people to join anti-Semitic movements mm-hmm. was posted on social media. We got a grant to use the arts to combat that. The second grant we just got is a series that we'll create in 2021 here in Nevada called Nevada's Colorful Children. I love history. So unfortunately, people think that Nevada history began and ended with the Donner Party. But we have so many situations in Nevada history, so it's, called, it's going to be called Nevada's Colorful Children, and okay. it's going to be 11 incidents, situations, historical incidents through Nevada history is told through the voice of children of different races That's and awesome. ethnic groups. For instance, real briefly, years ago, a Jewish kid in Virginia City grew up to become the first person 
in the United States to be awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics, a Jewish kid in Virginia City. Who is this? Jacob, um, Albert, Dr. Einstein said that he could not have come up with his theory of relativity without that Jewish kid in Virginia City. So we will deal with that. And then the third one is a program that I just created, and we have four podcasts going on, and it's called The Scientists and Inventors Geek and Genius Kids Club. And they're whimsical stories for kids ages 5 to 11, 12, uh, on little whimsical stories about a group of kids who rescue all of these situations in their town from the society of rottenness, and they use science (laughs) and and technology and computers and arts and math to rescue the town from the society of rottenness. What a great approach. Yeah, so those are the three. Um, And as I said, I've got a series of national grants to fund these different three series. So when are these when these are produced, how will people be able to access them? They will they will be all on the 24 channels of social media podcasting. Okay. They'll be on websites and uh, I have a social media person in Chicago, even though we're here in Reno, uh, who is putting them on. So for instance, the first three from the Geek and Genius Kids Club. I love that One name. is Rescuing Halloween, one okay. is the Kids Rescue Christmas, and one is the Kids Rescue Hanukkah. And a combined total so far in just the past five months is over 50,000 kids subscribing to it. Wow. And kids podcasting isn't that popular, but it's going to be. It sounds like it, yet yeah, with you spearheading it's it. It's going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were, we were telling me a little bit about the production value yes. that goes into some of these. Uh-huh. So, because you're involving, like you mentioned, Broadway actors and right. actresses, um, top notch engineers. I started okay. with home, backyard, <laughs> experimentation. If I could give any advice to any aspiring podcasters out there or those that are struggling and thinking about throwing in the towel, don't. Here's my best advice to you. Come up with a program that just doesn't match your passions, but matches the passions of what people want to hear. And two is experiment. It's called, you know, I have have a seminar workshop that I do for businesses and nonprofits. Okay. And it's called The Three I's. Inspiration, ideation, implementation. You take the three I's and how do you design your nonprofit or your business to succeed through what inspires you, what ideas, and how do you take that inspiration and ideas and turn it into implementation for success? And a part of it is the two E's, exploration and evolution. Just experiment. If it's done in your home, experiment with it. Then you can lead to maybe other people, and then maybe semi-professionals, and then professionals, but explore with it and think, what inspires you? How do you turn it into an idea? And then how do you implement it to make money and gain an audience? One of the things I like about that is that if it starts with a personal passion that you have, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a natural interest in it, and the information and the way you present it is going to be really passionate, and that tends to interest people. That tends to bring people into what you're doing. But here's also the the devil's advocate problem. Okay, People might be very passionate about a subject, but it's not that popular out there. (laughs) Maybe not. And so therefore, can you make money on it? You have, if you want to make money on your podcast, then you have to figure out what people are willing to pay the money for. And if you run a nonprofit, what are the funders looking for? So you take your passion 
and you take the opportunities of the populace and you take the opportunities of the funders and then you combine all three. You know, I think we're going to have to have you back because we need a whole series on you. Oh, that's wonderful. Because yeah. like, I, like I figured you were going to be a walking encyclopedia <laughs> about this. Well, Joseph Galata, thank you so much for joining me here on User Friendly. Yes, and I kept my hands underneath the table did so I great. didn't found the table you like you great. told me to. <laughs> right, yeah. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, as always, thank you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week, guys. You know, there's so much going on. Uh, it's so nice to be in 2021. I, I think I was ready for last year to end. Yes. So, but 20, 2020 was the longest 10 years of my life. Yeah, and that's about what it feels like, too. And, you know, things aren't instantly going to get back to normal. We still have some time to no. go, but at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, a, a real shout out to our healthcare workers and the People involved in creating the vaccine to get the be able to deal with this stuff in the in this way is just amazing to me, and uh, you know I think we'll get there. I think we're going to have holidays at the end of this year, which will be kind of nice, um, you know. <laughs> but uh, getting there, it's just oh boy, it has been a grind. You know, Gretchen, a little earlier you were talking about some of the streaming TV, and this has been a popular topic with everyone, just because that is one of the things that's safe to do right now. If theaters still being closed and so on. And I know that you also have been watching some stuff on Hulu. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a new series that came out called The Hardy Boys. Um, and I was always a fan of I, a fan of the books as a kid. I loved the series in the late 70s. And so I thought I'd give it a shot. And I think they did a nice job. I haven't finished going through it, but I'm about on episode seven. And there are 13 episodes, and um, they did a nice job in that the kids don't act stupid. Sometimes when you have stories like, uh, I'll use Disney as an example. I have a real hard time watching some of the Disney programming that is geared for kids. Um, some of the characters are just so over the top and really ridiculous. But the kids in the Hardy Boys series, they seem more real, like real kids. Okay. And so um, I think the acting is good. It's set in the 80s. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it has a lot of intrigue, if you like mystery and, and mm. intrigue. I even got my mom to watch it. So now, is this a Hulu-specific thing, or is it something over their uh, channel stuff? I think it's uh, Hulu-specific. Okay. Because yeah. Hulu does offer, um, you can get most of your network TV through them if you want, but they also have a subscription that's just for the Hulu shows. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I you know, don't quote me on it. <laughs> but I found it on Hulu. Okay, no, that's interesting, you know, and uh dealing with uh, all of the different things that are out there. One of the things that's happening is we're starting to have a little bit of what they call streaming fatigue because there's starting mm -hmm. to be so many different options with that and once you subscribe to all of them, you pay as much as you would have before cord cutting, which is what a lot of people are into with all of this. But one of the things about that is it has allowed for a lot more opportunity for things to make it into production that wouldn't have before. So we're seeing a lot of very unique and some niche shows that maybe don't go for the mainstream, but definitely mm -hmm. are good for a smaller audience. Now, one of the other things, and I just throw this out there before we call it a day, 
is do look at what your kids are watching because they don't have the same restrictions like they do on broadcast television. So some of this stuff will have hard language and other things. And you just want to know what, you know, what you're dealing with and what you're watching. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.